0: Good morning. How many of you are excited to be out here this morning? All right, so I've got to be done by 1040. So we've got 25 minutes, so we got to jump in. So Bible's open, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 11 today, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I want to read our text and pray, and then we will jump right in. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Everybody got your spot? Here we go. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. And I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my hearts. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my confirmation and defense of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve what is excellent. And be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Dear Lord, as we come to this text, there's no way to do it justice. So, Lord, as we hit the highlights, I pray that you would guard my thoughts and that you would guard my words and that they may be consistent with your word. Lord, you know. That none of us are worthy of the grace of the gospel. None of us are worthy of being able to preach or proclaim your word. So God, I pray that the cross would be seen, that your word would shine bright, that your spirit would do its work, and that we would respond in obedience to what your word says, that we may be drawn closer to you. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's what we have happening as you begin to look at this. Does anybody here feel lonely? Does anybody here feel a little uncertain? You just don't know what the future is going to hold. You don't know what tomorrow might bring. You don't know what a few months down the road might bring. You're just unsure and you're uncertain. It's different. Perhaps you're far away from those that you love and care for deeply. You're in a situation that's new. Your environment is new. You're wondering, Lord, what's going to happen here? Anybody at all say that maybe you're a little uncomfortable because of the uncertainty we're facing in modern times right now? Raise your hand. Anybody out there? Am I alone? Because that's me. Like right now, with all that's happening with COVID, with all that's happening around in our world, as I look at all of the things happening, there's some uncertainty in my heart from time to time. I can focus on that uncertainty. But then I come to the letter of Philippians that Paul writes and I recognize this fact that Paul is most likely sitting in a Roman jail as he's penning this letter. It's around AD 62. He doesn't know when he's gonna live or when he's gonna die. As he looks back and writes these words, he has uncertainty. There is no doubt that at times he feels lonely There are times when he probably feels like he's been left all alone in those dark moments. There are times where he's probably wondering, God, where are you? Are you out there? Do you know? Do you see? We know from the text that he even says he's anxious when he talks about Epaphroditus. I am anxious to send him to you sooner because he's worried about one of his friends in his health. So Paul, writing this, anxious, alone, in a jail cell. And yet, what do we see? We see all throughout this book, a book which is called the book of joy, a book which talks about be joyful, a book where focusing on Christ and focusing on others allows us to have joy. So how does Paul do it? Well, that's exactly how Paul does it. Paul in this book focuses on Jesus first. When we set our minds and our hearts and our desires on ourselves, when we start thinking about me and when I start thinking that I'm the center of the universe, I start wondering why are all these things happening to me? I start getting depressed. I start getting anxious because I know I can't control them. But when I turn my eyes and I focus on Jesus and I focus on the one who can control everything, the one who already knows everything, then my perspective changes because he's got it under control. And then after I focus on Jesus, I focus on others. I look out to others' interests. You see this in Philippians 2. You're going to see this in our text here. We consider others more significant than ourselves, looking out not only for our own interests, but for the interest of others. Having this mind, which was in Christ Jesus. We look to Jesus. Then we emulate Jesus' mindset, so we look to others. And then me, I come last. I always should come last in my thinking. And my thought processes, but let's be honest, I wake up every morning because of my sinful nature, because of my flawed flesh. Every morning I wake up and I am the center of my universe. So every morning I have to get in the word, every morning I have to pray to God, every morning I have to reset my mind and say, God, help me every day to focus more on Jesus than me, to focus more on others than myself, not to look at all of my circumstances, but to recognize I'm a pilgrim passing through this world and I have an eternal home and an eternal destiny that awaits. Help me to reset my mind so that I can have true biblical joy. So one aspect of Christian maturity, you want to grow in your faith, you want to be a mature Christian. One aspect of Christian maturity is recognizing when we're lonely, depressed, stressed out, anxiety, if we're focusing on ourselves, and if that's the reason for this, then spiritual maturity is recognizing, I can't be focused on me. I need to be focused on Jesus and on others, and then myself, I come last. So let's look at some of this as we see it. Main idea of the text today, God grows us towards spiritual maturity. You're going to see this especially in verse six, but you're also going to see it in the prayer that takes place later on in verse nine. God grows us. He grows us. He does the work. We work with him. You'll see that in chapter two a little later on, but it's towards spiritual maturity. And then in this particular text, verses three through 11, we see the day of Christ twice We see it there in verse 6 where he says that he's going to complete the work that he's begun in us for the day of Christ Jesus. And then we see it later on that we may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So there is a coming day. There is a future day. And we live with that day in mind. It's just like you do your test. You go through the semester looking forward to a test that is coming. Because there is a test coming, you read the assignments, you do the work, you study hard because you know there is a test coming. There is a day of Christ coming. So we live wisely in such such a way as that happens. The outline for today, two points. Number one, thanksgiving. Number two, prayer. Verses three through eight, number one, thanksgiving. Nine through 11, we're going to look at prayer. So let's look at where we see thanksgiving in verses three through eight. You see it right here when he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Now think about this. What could Paul be saying when he says, I thank my God in all, all is repeated throughout here too, in all my remembrance of you, making my prayer for you all with joy. Is Paul focused on the positive or is Paul focused on the negative? Because this is another mindset issue. We can all be focused on the negative in life and it affects the way we feel. It affects the way we think. But Paul here is focused on the positive. Think back to Acts chapter 16 as to what he could remember. When I went to Philippi, there was this young girl, this might be Paul thinking this, there was this young girl who was demon possessed who was telling the future, we cast the demon out of her. And before casting the demon out of her, what did we get? The entire town rose up. The entire town beat him. He was beaten for doing a good deed. And then he was put in jail and put in shackles. Even though he was a Roman citizen, he was unjustly put in jail. Now, if Paul were focused on, I did a good deed and I got beaten for it, or somebody said something nasty about me, I was put in jail unfairly. They shackled my feet. I was bound. He wouldn't be thanking God for all his remembrance of them. He wouldn't be doing this with joy if he were self-centered and focused on himself. I wasn't treated fairly in Philippi. I don't want to ever go back to Philippi. I'm done with Philippi. If he remembered it negatively, that's what he would be writing. But look at what he writes in verse three. I thank my God upon all my remembrance of you. So what's he focused on? He's focused on Lydia, a seller of purple, who he shared the gospel with, who her and her entire household converted to the faith. He's focused on the fact that while he was in that prison, he was singing hymns and there was a great earthquake and the earthquake opened all the doors and there was a Philippian jailer who was going to kill himself. And he said, no, 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 we're still here. And then that Philippian jailer and all of his household, they were saved. And then the jailer that was there washed and treated the wounds that he had from being unjustly treated by others. So there's a point for us here. There's a great point of application for us here. We have the opportunity in our lives to focus on the negative and to remember only the negative or to focus on the positive and to remember the positive. And Paul's example that he's setting for us here is to focus on the positive, to focus with an eternal perspective on others and on Jesus and on what's happening rather than focusing on me and myself. So when you get in that position where you're just feeling it. You're feeling the funk. You're self-centered. You're self-focused. You're the center of your universe. Spiritual maturity says, recognize that. It's a spiritual war that we're fighting here. The devil wants us to be all focused on the mirror, all focused on ourselves. And at those moments, we have to say, God, help me to focus on you and on others. Help me to remember the good work that you are doing. So right now, we could be focused on the fact that COVID-19, a global pandemic, is happening. We could be focused on the fact of racial unrest. We could be focused on the fact of other situations that are going on all around us. We could be focused on the fact that we have to wear masks all the time, and I don't like wearing a mask, and mask messes with my face, and I just don't like this. I have to stay distant from people, yet I moved away from mom and dad, and now I'm here, and I want to get to know people, but i got to stay distant from people. Or maybe you're an introvert, and you've been practicing your whole life for this, and you are happy as you can possibly be. But if you focus on the negative, it's going to affect your attitude. But if you focus on the positive, hey, look, God gave us great weather. He's given us the opportunity to gather together in this group. This world is not our home, but we have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to study with faculty members that love you Faculty members that want to be in the classroom with you. You have the opportunity to use God given gifts. He's given you intelligence. He's given you all sorts of gifts for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have all of these opportunities ahead of you. We have beautiful weather today. It's warm outside. We can thank God for all of these good things. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have a sure salvation. Are we going to focus on the negative or are we going to focus on the positive? You have brothers and sisters in Christ who are around you to create authentic, genuine Christian community. And it may be harder to make friends. It may be more difficult with half of a face covered to recognize nonverbal cues that come forward. But you, of all people, have the opportunity to bond together in ways that others don't, to love Jesus and to love others and to create an authentic, genuine Christian community that's caring well for one another and caring well for yourselves. And we have the opportunity in the midst of a global pandemic to react differently than some others. We have the opportunity not to be as panicked as others. We have the opportunity to use this as a way to give glory to God and say that we are different from others. So I've mentioned joy a couple of times. Here's a definition from John Piper on joy that I thought was very helpful. We'll come back to this again in the text in future passages. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it this morning, but what is joy? Joy is not that goofy little emotion that we get when we hear a song that we like. Joy, Christian joy, is a good feeling in the soul. It's deeper than just some superficial emotion. It's produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Now there's an important phrase there in the word. So if you're not in the word and you're not seeing the beauty of Christ and the word is not transforming your thoughts and your minds every single day, because that's when we need it every single day, then there's your first step to Christian maturity in the word. Every single day, Christian joy is this sense of peace that even though the world is in chaos, our God is still in control. It's that sense that comes by the Holy Spirit is supernatural as he causes us to look around and see not the negative, not ourselves, but to look around the world and see the beauty of Christ, both in the word of God and in the world and creation as we see it. That's joy. That's what we're after. And then we come to verse 6. Oh, look at verse six. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. All right, so let's just pause right here and say, what can we give thanks for? What can we be thankful for? I am thankful that I am not the one that has to bring my salvation to completion but that God is the one that is going to bring my salvation to completion for the day of Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? I am such a sinner. I am so fallen in my flesh. I'm so fickle in my attitudes. Think about this. If it were up to me, if it were up to you to bring our salvation to completion, think about how frequently we change our minds. I'll wake up one week and I'll say, this week, I'm going to be really, really good. This week, I'm, I'm going I'm to work hard, I'm going to eat good food, and I'm going to lose some weight. And then I go to Chick-fil-A, and I smell a cookies and cream milkshake. And do you know what my mind all of a sudden decides to do? The Bible says all fat is the Lord, so I'm just going to give more glory to God. <laughs> so the first week Chick-fil-A was open, I had eight Chick-fil-A milkshakes in one week. I I haven't had any Chick-fil-A milkshakes this week. So I'm doing better this week. Started yesterday and they were closed. But no Chick-fil-A milkshakes this week. (laughs) But if I pray the prayer of Jabez and my borders start expanding, you can blame Chick-fil-A. That's all I'm saying. Think about how fickle we are. I'm going to get up every... Think about your New Year's resolutions that last until January 31st. I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to be in the Word. I'm going to reap it 30 minutes straight next morning, knack, knack, snooze, knack, knack, snooze. Anybody out there? Can you Can you testify? This is what we do. So when we read this verse, don't skip over what this verse is saying. Don't skip over what Paul is saying. Don't skip over how thankful we should be that it's not up to me. It's not up to you. We change our minds on things we like. You change your minds on majors. You get in a major and you start realizing this is what they're supposed to do. Well, I'm not going to be a nurse. I don't like needles or blood. This doesn't work for me. I'm out of here. See you guys later. You get into a major and you realize I don't like math. I can't be an engineer. I'm going to move over to some other. Accounting? Nope. No, thank you. Is there something without math? Communications? Here I come. You start choosing your major based on what you like, right? We change our minds. But here, this says that God is the one. He who began a good work in us. Salvation is the work that God did for us. Sanctification is the work that God is doing in us. And that's going to lead to service, which is the work that God is doing through us. Salvation is the work God did for us. Sanctification is the present work God is doing in us. And that's supposed to lead to service, which is the work that God will do through us. This is what we see here. He who began the good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And we thank God for that. Says in verse 7 Really, Paul? Really, God's going to bring it to completion? Yeah, it's right for me to think this way about you. Because I hold you all in my heart. Now, notice here, Paul loves these people, he cares about others. Our core values of love for God, love for others, evident throughout this letter. I hold you all in my heart, for you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment. They sent him help. They had part in that. They helped him both in my imprisonment And in my confirmation and defense of the gospel, we all as the body of Christ join together in our confirmation and our defense of the gospel. The way we act this semester on campus, the way we care for others, the way we survive COVID-19, the way we go to class, the way we do all these things, it's a confirmation by our action and a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can do things because our attitudes focused on Jesus and others before ourselves that others others simply can't do because their worldview is me centered. Their worldview says, do what you please be true to yourself. And that worldview leads with a very different understanding. He says, for God is my witness. He pleads to God, how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's so much more we could say, but I need to move to this point. Number two is the prayer. Now, I want to break this prayer down for you because this prayer is also my prayer for myself and my prayer for you throughout this year. This is the prayer I'm praying for everybody at Cedarville University, including myself here. Let me read it to you and then we'll break it down. We'll look at it. This is my prayer. There are two that's in this. Often when you read the Bible, you see that or you see so that in the Greek, that's a hina clause, that's what it's called. And, And it gives you a good application. Here's what we're after. Here's what we're trying to do. So you get that, but you also get some key words in here. The key words, love and knowledge, which we have to keep together. And that leads to all discernment. And that discernment allows you to prove what is excellent. And then because you're proving what is excellent, you're pure and blameless. Some key words there. So it's Paul's prayer for them. That your love may abound. And he doesn't just stop with saying love may abound. He says your love may abound more and more. One more is enough. If you were writing this in an English paper, your teacher is likely to strike it out and write redundant in the margin because he's saying it over and over. He wants your love, your love for who? Your love for God. And that will bleed over to your love for others, but your love for God to abound more and more. I pray for me, I pray for you that our love for God this year will abound more and more more. But it's not just love. It's for love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So let's think about this. If we don't have love, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us we are clanging cymbals. If we don't have love, 1 John tells us, That we don't know the father because if we know the father, then we will love others. And so if we have no love in our heart for other people, if we are cold and callous and do not like other people and do not show love for others, that should be a check for us that we are not walking with God like we should be. But if we have love and our love abounds more and more and it's just a sappy, sentimental love, but it has no grounding in knowledge, then we can be led astray. We can be taken to and fro by every emotion and everything that's happening. And so we have to have the love, but we have to have it combined with knowledge. If we just have knowledge, we'll be puffed up with pride. If we have knowledge that has love, then we'll stay humble, we'll stay with love for others. We'll make sure that we care for others in the right way. So Paul here is combining that love that may abound more and more with knowledge and love with knowledge coming together then leads to a discernment. What is that discernment? That's spiritual maturity. The spiritual maturity of discernment says, you may approve what is excellent. You may approve what is best. You may approve what is better than something else. Two worldviews collide, you're gonna know which one is right and which one is wrong. You're gonna be able to test as they tested metals or tested coins, and you're gonna be able to say, this is counterfeit and this is authentic, this is genuine. All discernment so that when we look out at the world, because we have love for God abounding more and more with knowledge that comes through his word, It produces a discernment in me that I can say, this is right. This is wrong. This is what I need to do. This is not what I need to do. And that results in a spiritual maturity, approving what is excellent. So we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. If you love something, you're going to know more about it. I don't know if this image is going to show up right on the screen. All right, I need your help. What is this a picture of? I can't hear you. What is this a picture of? Yell it out. Yell it out again. What is this a picture of? A dinosaur. I heard dinosaur. I heard velociraptor. If you know nothing about this image, this is a dinosaur. If you know more about this image, this is a velociraptor. If you know even more about this image, what's the name of this dinosaur? Blue. There you go. There's my Jurassic Park fans in the crowd. If you know more about this, you know that Blue is 5 foot 5 inches tall and a little over 12 feet inches wide and weighs 500 pounds. And that Blue is one of four and the leader of the group along with Echo, Delta, and Charlie. And that Blue was trained by Owen so that he actually helped deliver some others. And that Blue actually had some T-Rex blood put in him at one point in time when he was had been shot. And that Blue understands and has his toe on his foot. That's the toe he pins people down with or slashes people with. And it's a combination of some lizard DNA and some iguana DNA and some other DNA mixed together. That's if you know way too much about blue. (laughs) Now, I know Jurassic World is not real. I know blue is not real, but we like blue at my house. The more you like something, the more you're going to know about it. Are you in the word every single day? Are you meditating on scripture every single day? Are you memorizing scripture? The more you love God, the more you're going to know about him. So that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It's not of our own. It comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. If you have that love and that knowledge and that discernment and that excellence to be pure and blameless, you're going to have fruit. Fruit, when it grows on trees takes time. It takes time. You can't do this overnight. Fruit doesn't scream up and down. Trees don't jump up and down. They look at me, I'm producing fruit. They just do their work one day at a time. And that fruit is produced not for our glory, but we're right back to our mindset, is for the glory and praise of God. Jesus first, others second, we're last. So what is spiritual maturity? Here's just a little definition I tried to come up with out of this text. Love for God, nurtured, With scriptural knowledge of God that grows discernment that yields fruit for the glory of God. I want to know how to grow in my faith. I want to know how to be spiritually mature. Here you go. Love for God, nurtured with the Word of God, that grows discernment that yields fruit, all for the glory of God. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. I'm going to pray. We're going to be dismissed. You've got shirts and you've got stickers. Uh, if you didn't get your stickers, stickers are gonna be on the table. Is that right, Jim? They're on the table on top. They got a sticker for everybody. We ordered 4,000 stickers, so make sure you grab a sticker, make sure you grab a shirt. If you're here for chapel, grab a sticker, grab a shirt. We're giving faculty, staff, and everybody. And then as you go through this semester, in the word every day, memorizing the word, meditating on the word, making good friends. Hey, listen, I know it's lonely. I know it's hard, I know it's different. But you got this. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to the glory of God the Father, we as a university have this. We can make it happen. By God's grace. Spiritual growth and thriving in the midst of COVID. Dear God, I pray right now for myself and for all of the students, faculty, and staff at Cedarville that you would help our love to abound for you more and more. That you would help our knowledge to abound about you through your word more and more, that we may have discernment to approve what is excellent. And Lord, be found pure and blameless at the day of Christ Jesus by the blood of the cross and not by our own works and only to the glory of God the Father. It's in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit, I pray. Amen. And you are dismissed.